Welcome to episode four of the Mental Health Podcast from Unite MHNA. I'm here today with every Anagnostara. Anagnostara. Yes. Uh, and I am going to be in a bit of a funny mood because this is the second take of doing this recording. Uh, we did an excellent first take, uh, but then I realised that I'd made a mess of pressing the record button. The only job that I properly had to do, and I didn't do it properly. It's okay. And everybody's been very supportive in terms of trying to make out this wasn't a huge fail on my part. <laughs> Which but, is not. But everyone listening knows it is, and it's ridiculous. And it's that bit now that... Obviously, when I said your surname in the last bit, I could pretend that I said it perfectly first time, but I didn't again. <laughs> and it's not that I don't say it really, really often. It's just that I, the pressure's on saying it on a podcast. Indeed. So, every hello. Hello, David. And you're the chair of MHNA. I am, indeed, yes. Nice to meet you today. Yes. Uh, and every how long have you been the chair? Um, about uh, over a year, I think, now. just over a year, yes. Brilliant. Um, and before you were chair, you were also involved with our mental health nursing editorial board. That's right, yes. And I, I'm still enjoying that part of my role, yes. Yes, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's great being on both, I think. Indeed. You get to, to do the exciting stuff from, from both sides. Now, people will hear you've got a bit of an accent there. I, I know I say this, imagining that my lovely northern accent <laughs> is completely kind of, that's, that's the Queen's English. Yes. But gone. where are you from, Everest? So, I'm originally from Greece, and uh, yes, I have been here for uh, about 20 years, but I'm keeping the accent for effect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure when you go home, they're like, you know, you sound so different. And indeed, like, that's very true, yeah. yeah you feel like, um, you look like a, a Londoner. <laughs> indeed, yes. Yeah. And I know in the first take, asking about your kind of history as a mental health nurse. So yes. Tell so, us again. Um, <laughs> yes, I have been a mental health nurse for about 13 years now, and uh, I am uh, currently working in an inpatient setting. Brilliant, and that's in the London area. area yes. yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Today, we are not in a soundproof studio. We are in the Westfield Shopping Centre. We've arranged to meet here in between everything else that we've got to do yes. today. So you will hear children in the background, you will hear trolleys and prams and people walking past. But hopefully it just adds to the ambiance of today's podcast. Of course, and it shows how committed we are in doing this work. Babe. Absolutely. Today we are talking about Equally Well UK because Unite MHNA is a member of the Equally Well UK coalition. We joined up when it was first launched and actually every you were instrumental in us doing that. I remember the first board that we took the conversation to in terms of should we, shouldn't we sign up as we do with all the things that we're asked as an organisation yeah. to do and I remember you being the most vocally supportive of it Absolutely. so it felt quite nice when you then became chair and then attended the launch and signed the Equally Well pledge. Yes. So thinking back just over a year now, have you got any kind of reflections on the launch event? I thought it was a, a really um, exciting time for everyone to, to get together and uh, have for a first time an organized effort to tackle these uh, inequalities in health. And uh, it was really good to see uh, people from different organizations learning from each other and uh, committing to some actions. So it was really, really uh, good, yes. Yeah, and the, the coalition is, is huge now, isn't Indeed, it? Indeed, yes. It was big at launch, but it's got bigger and bigger month on month. So yes. great to be there from the start, but obviously encouraging others to join up too. Absolutely. I think uh, uh, that first day it was about 25 organizations signed up, and I'm sure now it's more than 100. Yeah, yeah. On today's podcast, we've got an interview with three friends, uh, Hannah Lewis, Marsha McAdam and Emma Bailey. Yes. Uh, Emma's the person that always emails out asking for updates from organisations and then collects all that together and sends the information out to coalition members. So hopefully, you know, you're going to find uh, today's interview really interesting. Without further ado, here it is. Hannah Lewis. I'm the Senior Policy and Practice Officer over at Rethink Mental Illness. Uh, and my role in equal, Equally Well is to facilitate the involvement of people who have lived experience, like Marsha, to um, yeah, make sure that the project is as, as co-produced as possible. And just in terms of that, what does Rethink do? So we manage a network of around, at the moment it's around 10 experts by experience. Um, and we hold quarterly meetings and facilitate things like podcasts and 
event planning and stuff to make sure that whatever we do, the voice of people with lived experience is right at the fore of everything that yeah, we produce as equally well. My name's Marsha McAdam and I'm part of the lived experience group, part of Equally Well. Um, and I basically live and breathe parity of esteem because it really impacts me, both the physical and the mental health. Um, and I'm Emma Bailey, I work at Centre for Mental Health um, and one of the hats I wear at the centre is um, managing Equally Well and basically working with the members and our fantastic clinical group and also the lived experience group working alongside Hannah, so bringing it all together. What we're talking about today is Equally Well UK, so let's start with a really simple question. What is Equally Well UK? Um, so Equally Well UK originally started in New Zealand with a lady called Helen Lockett, who um, actually worked at the centre many moons ago. Um, she met with Andy and shared what they were doing in New Zealand to work around um, closing the mortality gap. Um, for people with severe mental illness. From that, um, Andy ended up um, speaking to her, working out how we could implement something in the UK similar, there's a few differences, um, and found out that the Royal Colleges were doing a similar piece of work, so we merged together um, and obviously brought in Rethink, who um, it would have been strange not to, <laughs> based on the amazing work that they do, um, and it's about bringing organisations together because not one organisation can close the gap on their own. We need a whole network of us working to close the gap together and work on the agenda. And that's probably an important point about bringing organisations together. So mm -hmm. which organisations are currently involved in Equally Well UK? So there's a long list now which is fantastic. Don't it's go through the list. <laughs> I won't. Could you tell from my deep breath? Yes. People um, can look on the website. Yep, yeah, we have got them all on the website, um, but we've got a range of mental health trusts, mental health charities that are involved, um, NHS England, Public Health England, um, and then also we've started to get some brilliant physical health charities like Diabetes UK involved. And in terms... Yourself. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> and we will talk about that in a bit. Yep. Uh, so in terms of people getting involved, obviously that list, is it closed and no one else can get involved? No. It's an exclusive club? It, it's definitely not exclusive. We want to keep it as open as possible to everyone. So um, on the website there's how to join, but we're also going around to across the UK speaking at different events, trying to engage with more people. So we want anyone that works around um, helping people with lived experience or working around physical health um, so that there's a focus not only on the person's mental health but catching anything mental health related, doing physical health checks, helping them with healthy weight management or quit smoking if they want to. So there's a range of different things but we're very keen to create a bigger network and as many members as possible. And while you were talking then, an important bit of the Equally Well UK is the UK bit. Yeah. So four countries. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so there's France are doing it but with a slightly different name um, and then we've also got Equally Well in Australia and then the original which is Equally Well in New Zealand. So mm -hmm. if you type in the UK then we come up. You get the right one. Yeah. And also just to flag that UK means England, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales yeah. as well. Yes. Which we That's are working on bringing in yeah. that membership because at the moment we're worried that it is slightly more England based but we are very keen. We've got Hathel and Wales that are part of our membership, but we're really keen to build that membership. Because I noticed you said some of the big kind of national organisations mm. for England, have you got the ones in the other countries involved? Not yet, but we would absolutely love them. So that's mm. probably a message to people listening to this today. If your big organisation, national level stuff isn't involved, then they need to get on that case, don't they, and start asking them to sign up. Amazing help. We're run by a few of us, so to say. Um, so it's all on a shoestring, so any help that we can get from members and general public is an amazing help. Yes, so get involved people. <laughs> now we mentioned that MHNA signed up, so we signed up as was coming yeah. together uh, and we joined in the launch event last September. Now one of the things that you unfairly did was say to all the people signing up we had to make a pledge. Yep. Uh, luckily <laughs> we've got some really kind of sensible clever members that have great ideas and our pledge to when we joined up was about creating a, a special edition of our mental health nursing journal mm -hmm. uh, and obviously it's great that that has 
gone to press now and that's out there available for everyone so just to kind of highlight that and we'll put a link in the notes from today's podcast but obviously thanks for being involved in that I don't know if you've got any highlights from the journal that you wanted to share but the highlights <laughs> might be Hannah there <laughs> well, so what did you write about Hannah so um, I wrote about some issue that's really close to my heart and close to the hearts of the lived experience advisors as well um, and it was around how to how to di- how to approach healthy weight management amongst people who live with a mental illness, um, and that's because what's become really really clear in our group sessions when we all discuss the issue of healthy weight management. Um, firstly, the usual term of obesity doesn't sit very well with us because of the stigma attached to it, and we really want to try and reframe the discourse um, because traditionally public health messaging and health systems are are weight loss driven and we've come to the realisation that that's not necessarily the most appropriate messaging for people living with mental illness and people who are on antipsychotic medication or in inpatient settings have less access to to things that help us manage a healthy weight in the community like spaces to um, exercise and access to healthy nutritious food. So we found that the traditional sort of epi- epidemic crisis um, terms that were used just weren't really fair. Um, so yeah, we're, my piece was basically talking about um, that and how that culture shift is needed, but also thinking about what mental health nurses could do to help someone um, with their healthy weight management if they want to. Um, so it was just things like having a more holistic view of an individual, not focusing on measurements just like BMI and looking at the person as a whole. And, and then realising that people's relationships with food and eating can, can sometimes be quite complex and intertwined with our emotional management as well. And so not to forget um, basic screening measures for disordered eating in practice as well, mm. in a nutshell. <laughs> Brilliant. But obviously if people want to read more, then mm. they need to head to the journal and, and pick up that article. Absolutely. One of the things that kind of thinking about Equally Well UK is that there is so much that could be tackled and so much that could be thought about. So has there been any focus in the first kind of year or so in terms of subjects that have been picked? So this year um, we've had two priorities, which is tobacco smoking and healthy weight management. Um, this came about from a meeting with the clinical group where they were saying, sort of looking at the key stats, and then we took it to our lived experience group who then um, broke it down. So originally it was just smoking, and they said, well, actually, smoking could be a number of different things. Are we just talking about tobacco or other um, elements? And then the healthy weight management was originally called obesity, and through a fantastic brainstorming session, we talked about the stigma around the word obesity, mm. the fact that quite often if you're talking about obesity, you're putting blame on the person, where in a lot of situations with this, it's not the person's, the individual's fault. So we thought healthy weight management as a whole. So go on, Mash, did you play, <laughs> play a big part in that kind of change? Um, remotely, because I wasn't able to come to the meeting, but um, for, for me personally, um, I am in that bracket of um, vastly morbidly obese. Um, and um, for me, I used to, um, I can identify as that, um, and I, but I understand all the hurt and everything that goes with it, because um, when I start losing weight, people start paying attention, mm. whereas I'm quite, I can, believe it or not, I can be really quite shy. Um, so I'd rather, it, it just sounds, it's, anyway, <laughs> for me years ago, um, so I have a condition called borderline personality disorder, and for me I used to use, um, ignore that as a, as a self-harm, and then I received some life-changing therapy called mentalization-based therapy that stopped all that, but remember during that time the therapist saying to me because I'd replaced said oh no we'll be able to deal with that later but that's actually probably the worst thing that's because I've now gone on to have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease type 2 diabetes and 
at the beginning of the diabetes was said, oh, it's controlled um, food diet, you know, like um, controlled with your eating and that. Um, but then because I didn't like myself, I then went on to sort of punish myself. And now I have, um, at one stage I was on four types of diabetic medication. Now I'm just on um, metformin and osmopec um, injection um, for that. But it was like, so I'm so glad that the Equally Well are doing this campaign um, because it gives people like me actually a real voice instead of, oh, they're just, they're just lazy or uh, especially with being on the scooter people oh yeah she just not not um she's unfit and she's just lazy when actually i've got um fibromyalgia and all the other stuff and the scooter actually gives me independence mm -hmm. but people just see oh sorry but that's yeah. <laughs> yeah so if we kind of imagine a future where equally well uk has had success and we're in this utopia which i know we even with Equally Well UK, we might not get to. Could you kind of imagine or say how it would be different, do you think? What, what, what experience for you would be different? So the word a few years ago, the, the catchphrase was parity of esteem. That still hasn't happened. Um, and there's all, all these workshops, conferences are talking about it, but you really, really need to start giving people the therapy. Um, start encouraging people to, yeah. Um, instead of recently, there was someone on TV that was saying to people, saying, did you hear it? I think I know what you're about to say. <laughs> she said something like, well, you should just fat shame them and then that's how mm. they lose weight. Yet, to me, that then just means that I will hate myself mm -hmm. even more mm -hmm. and that if I'm being fat shamed, I'm always going to remember that instead of, you know, someone being gentle. So even if I've lost mm -hmm. all the weight, I'm still going to remember that woman's voice. And I think you draw on, up on something really, really important there and everything you've said, Marsha, um, something that has been missing from the healthy weight management discourse in the past is this appreciation that there is a psychological link there. You describe really eloquently how food for you was a coping mechanism um, to replace some of your you know, more destructive ones perhaps that um, you adopted in the past. And I think that that experience isn't isolated with you as we know from speaking with mm -hmm. our colleagues it is something that a lot of other people um, experience so you're completely right it's it's almost bizarre that we've not treated it as a psychological issue until now mm -hmm. but what what is really difficult um is when you know you, you described again so eloquently about how we live in this fat shaming diet culture and when people go to uh, see their healthcare professional for support and treatment for their mental and physical health. You don't expect for that to be sort of reinforced by people who are supposed to be supporting you. It's like a stigma within a stigma, and so it is extra tricky. And then there's also the thing of if you put your head above the parapet as a lived experience um, person, pro you're actually then getting people then bad mouth in you or that so you're getting more eggs sorry thrown at you um and you should i remember oh i'm sorry i just need to tell you this <laughs> i met sarah hughes a few years ago and we were supposed to go j just for meeting um we were on a panel together and i'd expressed on the panel the use of like the self-harm with food mm. so this woman in our break we came up right she came up and luckily I was sitting next to Sarah who we were due to link in and this woman came and sat on her head and she was like you know the stomach is the size of a grapefruit not a watermelon she was saying that to me so Sarah was like oh. I just met Sarah we planned to meet 
and that and she was like how dare you so it was just even after and and she was an ot she was a dragon (laughs) (laughs) it was like oh so yeah i remember sarah came coming back from that and telling us and it was just appalling yeah and just for those that don't know sarah hughes is the chief executive center for mental health who i've had the pleasure of meeting a few times and i can imagine that she was a a good ally in the room Mm. on that day definitely and it is funny isn't it, how people can just get it so wrong. Mm. And sometimes it's not from a position of, I want to punish you or I want to hurt you. It's from a, I want to help you, but the effect can be the absolute opposite. And I, and I suppose that's probably the most strong importance about having people with lived experience involved, that you can say to us who haven't gone through this experience, actually, Dave, you're talking <laughs> today. Stop it mm. and talk with more sense. Mm. So, do you feel like you've had opportunity to tell us all we're talking nonsense? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the beauty of it, because the whole thing, the service user engagement, the patient involvement, the last year or two has really changed, where it's people do listen to each other, and there has definitely, for me, been a, especially considering my borderline personality disorder, the whole language has changed, um, and it's it's really, really good for me, yeah. Mm. And I suppose that's maybe one of the small successes with parity of esteem work, that we are kind of edging forward. And mm. I thought we might talk about parity of esteem stages. So just for anyone that doesn't know, uh, there's a really good guide from Centre for Mental Health about parity of esteem, and it says, it's the principle by which mental health must be given equal priority to physical health, and it was enshrined in the in law by the Health and Social Care Act. So obviously it's there in law, but has that law got any teeth? Well, I think I think it was re- it was summarised so powerfully at the annual event you were talking about before, Dave, when one of our other lived experience advisors was on a panel talking about this exact issue. And when she went to her GP to highlight that she'd had quite a rapid weight gain um, in a short amount of time. He said the words to her, and I think it gives everyone chills still, you can be fat and stable or skinny and crazy. And I think not only is that pejorative language, but that shows that idea of you need to pick between one or the other. Do you have your mental health or do you have your physical health? Because seemingly you can't have both, which is what we're trying to change. And I I suppose because that that really kind of matches Mm. in what you were saying about your own experience. Is it that we need to give people tools so instead of picking the second worst option, they're actually picking a sensible third or fourth or fifth option? And do we know yet from the work that you're doing through Equally Well what that kind of advice to people is? So obviously, you know, if if someone is coming to them and saying instead of self-harm, is there a kind of another option that we can put there that actually helps people and doesn't make it more difficult. One of um, our lived experience members has said, which sort of was at the very start of this project, so it's wrong with me the whole time, is if doctors could, when putting someone on medication, talk them through the effects of the medication mm. so that they can be the one to pick and so that they can know what those effects might yeah. be, mm. but also decision-makings like that them to sort of talk to them, make the decision with them, have them a whole part of the conversation rather than saying to them, you'll be getting on this. And similar to, I mentioned the girl in the hunger hormone, Um, so a GP or that will give someone um, some um, antidepressant medication and between eight weeks they can pick up five to six kilograms. Now imagine a young adult doing that and going through all those different and all of a sudden is morbidly obese. Um, remember that, it's just the, the words, mm. but that is how they're labelled. And they're not knowing, so there's all that that horrible self-doubt and, and all that. When I think the doctor psychiatrists actually have a responsibility for, to people like myself, um, and um, they, they really, really do have a responsibility. Um, there's also the, apart from the, well, there's the um, 
the weight management work, but there's also the smoking um, mm. stuff, and I've not really had much to do with it, but I do know that people really, really, when they're really down, they use the smoking as a form of coping as well. Mm. So imagine that that doctor saying what he did to someone that's smoking yeah. as well. And it's, it's been acknowledged that people will rather smoke than buy food in that for themselves. Mm. And it's, yeah. I think what you highlight really, really successfully there, Marsha, is that whilst healthcare professionals give advice on things like behavioural support and lifestyle regarding both our work streams across health weight management and smoking, they're fundamentally missing that psychological support. And I think you've really eloquently there made links between both of these um, issues, health weight management and smoking, about how if someone is using one of the other as a coping mechanism, then they need support to find other more constructive ways to manage their emotions. Something that has come out of our discussions on how to, in practice, do this effectively is peer support. And I think what we found is that it just makes such a difference if you're being supported by someone who's been there, done that, understands all these different nuances, rather than perhaps a healthcare professional who's quite prescriptive in their way or quite they're quite subscribed to the medical model. Yeah, those have been a couple of options that we've discussed, haven't they? Mm. And I suppose it's, it's interesting, isn't it, because quite often there can be unintended consequences from decisions that are taken that then kind of make things worse. And I'm, I'm just thinking about your example there about if you do go on to a medication that means that you put on a bit of extra weight, then I know myself had that situation as a runner that then running just feels that bit harder, so you're then less likely to do it, and then you put on more weight because you're not also doing the exercise that you used to. You know, your joints start to seize it, and it's that kind of the snowball, isn't it, that, that kind of comes out of nowhere. And I suppose if you've got that experience where you're already unhappy with the person that spoke to you, you're not then gonna rush back and kind of then talk about it not going as well as you kind of hoped. So for me, with the chronic pain, um, and the medications, um, there's pregabalin or gabapentine, they're the same family. And I think that, like, you really pick up weight on them, so straight away they've been excluded. Um, for me, well, I personally said, no ways, I'm not, t I'm not going near them. Because for the last 20 odd years, I have been a size 18 over 24 um, and stuff like that you know it it goes round and round um, so I've actually excluded that pain relief because specifically for that um, those reasons um, I think as um, well just um talking about ways that I think doctors and nurses could sort of help support someone more is the amount of members that I've spoken to that have said how hard their job is, which we fully understand and we want to make it as easy for them as possible and we don't want to put pressure on any one of our members because we understand what they're going through. Um, but it's about connecting with others. So I've spoken to some that have said in the um, mental health, side of things you're disconnected from the physical health so mm. if you've got a patient that's having a physical health problem you've then got to book them in drive them over even if it's over the road just to try and get the support rather than just being connected and having a doctor pop over the road quickly um, so it is about sort of connecting services connecting um, doctors and nurses, physical health and mental health all together. Um, and on top of that, we're very keen for, if anyone's doing anything around this, that they've got information on to share on the Equally Well website to try and help enable others to do the same. I suppose in that point alone, see where parity of esteem isn't really working, is it that someone who doesn't have a mental health condition can kind of access a service without much effort, but someone that does has got to jump through an extra few hurdles that mm. we're not getting that right, are we? Uh, 
as well as weight and smoking, there's lots of other issues. Mm -hmm. So is there kind of a plan that there'll be a, a rolling programme of topic or is it just that you're going to solve those two first and then come for something else? Very good question. <laughs> I think we're in two minds at the moment where there are so many different elements of this that we could work on and pick out. So although this year we've had smoking and healthy weight management, we've also been talking to the chief dental officer um, about trauma-informed care around dentistry and different elements of that. And every time I talk to someone, I see and find out about another element to it that we could be working on. So. At the moment, I think it's very much where we'll have to continue speaking to our clinical group and lived experience group, but also members, just to make sure that we are focusing on the right things. But also, what I would hate to do is to stop looking at smoking, for mm -hmm. instance, and suddenly having um, a massive bit of information that we could have looked at. So I think that's going to be a tricky one to work out, whether or not we continue doing that and add as well but overall we're going to be looking at everything but with just a focus on some key elements yeah i love the idea that we can fix smoking and healthy weight management in a year i really really <laughs> wish we could <laughs> and i suppose it would be that two kind of different things wasn't it about one of kind of just working at it and working at it to mm. hope that you know with that focus you can make a bigger impact or whether you do start to add extra topic areas on top. There's also that bit about are any of the topic areas out of scope or just too difficult to deal with and the one that I always think about is around money and actually mm. we know that if you're poor then absolutely parative esteem does not really apply to you and it's quite a difficult one for organisations especially charities to kind of tackle on a political footing because of kind of all the, the problems that that brings. Funny enough I was actually sorry <laughs> you go um, I was actually in a meeting this morning talking about the Equality Commission another project that I manage at the centre and we were talking about the whole poverty mm. side and um, literally similar to what you were saying then so any work that we do at the centre or rethink or the colleges do as well yeah. will be probably fed into equally well where possible mm. so that is something that does need to be the, on the agenda at some point and also healthy weight management is one of those complex ones it's not mm. an easy one so exactly I was going to say like I like to think that sort of like the core of these work streams is looking at things like poverty deprivation inequalities mm. and having that running throughout all the work streams yeah ra rather than just looking at it in isolation and just mm. acknowledging how these things all interact together sorry what are you going to say um so as my son was growing up um, and I had my mental health and um, really badly at the time, we used to live off of takeaways um, and <laughs> you have to order a certain amount for, mm. to get delivery but for someone that just didn't have the energy or the want for cooking all that, we basically... Um, lived on takeaways for so many years. Now my son's um, mid-twenties and he's now got a bit of a relationship issue with food um, and um, it is so much cheaper to buy a takeaway or that than it's been discussed recently than actually use money on your electricity to cook the meal whereas like £1.50 for a bag of chips or something like that and it, it's just so wrong that the government have got all these campaigns, the healthy eating and that that they're doing but a bottle of water is so much uh, 80 odd or something like that pence in a supermarket where a bottle of fizz is 40 odd pence corner shops there's like 30 different types of chocolate where's the where's the bananas where's the apples mm. where and i think that these are the questions really that yeah instead of these big big campaigns go back to the drawing board really i was talking to someone recently about in hospitals um so someone um i was talking to had been in a and e um but they've also had experience of being in um, acute care and other um, services and they were saying that trying to find something to eat 
that wasn't a packet of crisps, chocolate mm. bar, fizzy drink was almost impossible um, from the vending machines. And they said there's no bottles of water from it. There's no, not even a bottle of fizzy water or a healthy cereal bar or any sort of snack. It was very much the only thing that they had access to and they didn't want to leave um, their family member that was in hospital. So they literally were grabbing bags of crisps to feed them. Um, so even our vending machines within hospitals, I think, uh, something that we're not really giving the best footing for. Mm. I think you both raise a really important point and it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning where messaging has been so sort of targeted at the individual and by doing that we completely miss what's called, the, it's not my favourite word, but the obesogenic environment um, and acknowledging just how the world we live in is geared to make us make probably not the most healthiest of choices um, but in a society where poverty and deprivation is so high prevalent they're the most accessible choices we have and so how can you sorry I'm getting a bit political now but <laughs> how can you sort of say that's someone's individual responsibility and, and, and again it's you know very happy to get political uh, <laughs> I, I think the kind of the issue of the nanny state is fascinating that we kind of see it as a, a bad thing if someone would say well actually we want to regulate people against being able to get cheaper pop or you know crisps or whatever because that'd be the nanny state but making healthy food available you know oh no you know we can't do that because that's the nanny state as well so again it's that kind of bit about which side do people want to fall on and where do we want to see the most kind of the, the, the most changes and we know because we've seen it with things like the plastic bag charge that actually mm -hmm. the best way to affect societal change on an issue is to do something across the board so it does become a natural change that is easy to make and not that we like say force an individual to feel bad because they just mm -hmm. follow the huge pressures that are placed on them usually by multinational companies. <laughs> can, can I can I big supermarket and there's some satsumas or that for children free but just an aisle or two away is the big massive bars of chocolate the five kilograms of a box of all sweets and everything it was like what um, and often that's cheaper than the fruit definitely <laughs> it was like wow um for me because of my problem with food is i actually um get my carer to hide my purse and my bank card because at nights and weekends when i'm not doing anything that's when it really really you know hits me mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't it like just eat as well you just type in so you don't even need to get it out of your purse or that yeah. it's mm. so wrong yeah and it's that bit isn't it that you know companies are set up to make things i think they kind of say less sticky so it's harder to kind of intervene in in kind of behavior and you know they spend tons and tons of money on how to develop a system to do that just as we're talking, my mind kind of goes back to a lot of the work that Money and Mental Health Policy Institute mm -hmm. are doing. And I think this kind of mirrors really nicely about some of the messages coming out of Equally Well uh, and the real importance that we should kind of make the world a better place on these things. So, you know, real high ideals there. Are there any other questions that you I don't think I've asked? No, I think I've. I've got something. Go on. Mm -hmm. So. Um, it's to do with the relationship with food and that. So it was actually linked back. It's seven or eight o'clock at night. I was getting a takeaway delivered. I'd not had any interaction with anyone else during that day, yet that transaction, that phone call and getting someone, you know, to drop it off in yeah. the same pizza guy or that. Um, so that's another thing that, yeah, not saying it, for people to feel sad or that, mm. but it is so very real. Mm. Um, yeah. And maybe conversely, you know, you mentioned about how that interaction was, um, you know, it was a positive thing. Maybe for some people, because they don't want to leave the house and they don't want to go to the shops and interact with that, then that transaction of having someone deliver food to your door is the most comfortable thing for them at that moment in time. 
So again, I think what you're doing so well, Marsha, is just demonstrating how this is such a complex issue mm -hmm. and prescriptive weight loss advice just doesn't cut it. And we do need to look at all these different factors um, that influence a person's relationship with food. I wonder, Marsha, if um, in your experience, have you ever come into contact with a healthcare professional who, who got it right? So I've had two lots of eating, eating disorder therapies. Mm -hmm. The first time it was really, really good. The second time I wasn't ready and mm. he was a bit of a run around so I used to I was I did not um, commit myself to that time and I was doing everything else but concentrating on me which did quite anyway it it is the right time um, for, and for me what would really work is get the eating disorder waiting list down you, st <laughs> you can really really stop the whole thing from getting out of control it's then type 2 diabetes non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and on and on um, so get the waiting list down mm. that's a that's a really really good point and I'm really glad Marshall that you've highlighted that relationship between healthy weight management in people with uh, severe mental illness but also eating disorder therapy because I think a lot of the time people think those two things exist in isolation and there's not that intersection but as we know from speaking to our, our team of lived experience advisors there certainly is that in space and what what we found as well sometimes is exactly as you've um, alluded to today the the restrictive and weight, the restrictive and sort of fad diet weight loss advice that's given to people with a, with a mental illness means that they're, they're at risk of developing disordered eating if not a clinical eating disorder. And I think we're so, we're so good at looking at those two, two things in isolation and being like, oh, it's not, that's not my problem. You know, we say eating disorder and we think restrictive um, eating disorders such as anorexia, but really things like bulimia and binge eating disorder are so much more prevalent in, in the type of people we work with. So I guess just a bit of a campaign to bear that in mind for healthcare professionals and learn from each of the disciplines and yeah, have that multidisciplinary team, perhaps in um, this opportunity of the new community mental health models. Mm. And I suppose it's interesting because obviously, you know, we're recording this right at the end of September, day after there was some announcements made yesterday yeah, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. some of them fell a bit flat because we were promised lots of extra hospitals that actually isn't seemingly quite true uh, but the kind of discussions around community mental health teams uh, I think one of the things that we find interesting is the way that kind of new things are being promised but other things have been cut massively so one of the, the great concerns we've got is around public health being cut you know by a billion pounds and then kind of like, oh, but we'll put a little bit of this money back in a different way. Uh, and I suppose when you're talking about early intervention there, actually those are usually the services that, that kind of get cut first. So yeah, mm. worry, worrying times ahead, possibly, if you're being cynical like me. <laughs> or on the flip side, quite exciting times ahead too. Yeah. I love the idea for me to having this multidisciplinary team that could even include a dietitian, mm. occupational therapists, um, pharmacists, you know, everyone working together collaboratively mm. to to look at the holistic care of someone. Yeah. I think. And I think I that's one of the messages <laughs> from today, really, in, mm. in terms of that need to have kind of specialist people that can do the work, but have got the time to do it, but also have got the time to listen to the person that they sat in front of mm. to make sure that they're not giving those rubbish messages that are just going to make things worse. Mm -hmm. In terms of membership of Equally Well, I've already had my invite to next year's conference. Yep. So this is going to be on the 12th of March 2020. Have you got any exciting information to share about that yet? So the um, 
event in March is for members only, so if you're not a member, now's the time to join so that you can come. It's one of the things at the next lived experience group member uh, meeting that we're doing is going to be a focus on what we need to have, what they would like to see, um, and then we're going to take it to our clinical group just to see what they think as well. Um, we are in talks with a few different people, can't mention any names yet, um, just to make it a bit more exciting, but uh, it should be a fantastic jam-packed event that we'll be doing. Thanks for your time today, you have been stars. Hope you've enjoyed listening. We have our Equally Well UK Mental Health Nursing Journal special, so if you have loved listening to today's session, uh, get online, download a copy of that journal. It's free for everyone, so spread the word. And there's excellent articles in there, not only from Hannah, but from Helen Lockett, who came up with Equally Well, Andy Bell, a one year on from the start, Angela Willen and Louise Forrester talking about Well Women Wednesday, Emily Peckham talking about smoking cessation, and a couple of friends of mine, Lawrence Benson and Ben Scoble, talking about keeping Equally Well. So get your copy, have a read, be impressed. You've had the opportunity to listen to Hannah, Marsha and Emma. Now every, I just wanted to ask you a few questions. One of the things with the two main themes that they've picked for the first year of Equally Well is about obesity and smoking. In terms of your role working in an inpatient unit, do they feel the right two topics to focus on in this first year? I think it's, uh, yes, it's very difficult to choose a, a single uh, topic out of uh, all these uh, issues that we are currently facing, but uh, definitely as a mental health professional, I think we are in a unique opportunity to tackle obesity and smoking as the first point of call. Uh, definitely these are the, the two main uh, areas that affect uh, people who come in contact with us. Yeah, and in terms of thinking about your experiences, but also experiences of our wider membership uh, who work in hospitals, uh, do you feel that hospitals are getting this right? Are we at the start of the journey? Are we kind of, where would you kind of feel that we are at? I think the picture out there varies, uh, even you know, in a in a relatively small group as in in London wide. Uh, but I think there are some very good organised efforts out there. Uh, people uh, and definitely mental health nurses have started thinking uh, about these uh, two topics uh, more and more. Uh, there is certainly a lot of things we can do still, and uh, I, I think we are at the end of the start, if you like, uh, but um, uh, yes, we just uh, keep, uh, need to keep on talking to each other, learning from each other, and learning from other people's experiences. Yeah, and, and obviously Equally Well UK should hopefully contribute to that in, Absolutely. in a huge way, so, uh, yes. and, and I think one of the things that I think is really good about Equally Well UK is the fact that it is led by the Centre for Mental Health, who I think are such really good people Support, doing important yeah. important work and just thinking about the team there doing absolutely sterling work there so uh, a big you know sharing the love with them that for, for the stuff that they're doing yeah now one of the things that i wanted to ask you about smoking what's happening for you in the area that you work is that a topic that you feel that you're on top of this is definitely a topic that is in our radar but there is there are so many things that we can still do um some inpatient units, uh, I think they, they got it uh, right in terms of uh, providing uh, patients with information, alternative options, uh, psychological support and so on, uh, while uh, others um, you know, still struggling to, to get it right for their own uh, patient population. Again, it's something that we still need to, to work a lot on. At Unite MHNA, we are a member of the Mental Health and Smoking Partnership, which is chaired by Ash. We're doing lots of work with them, yes. hoping to get helpful messages out there. So one of the things that we have been doing is working with them on on a survey of mental health professionals, including mental health nurses. Hopefully, that will be reported on in the next few days. We're recording this early October, so I'm hoping it'll definitely be out by the end of October. And I'm sure it won't be a spoiler to say there are things that aren't going so well in terms of mental yes. health, nursing and smoke. One of the things that we're going to do as a result of that is support the Mental Health and Smoking Partnership to work 
work with MHNA UK, which is the group that does the academic side of mental health nursing, and look at how we educate undergraduates. So, you know, we're hoping that will help contribute to that. One of the other things that Ash has been really vocal about is e-cigarette. Public Health England has produced a report that shows how less risk there is in terms of e-cigarette. What's kind of your experience working in mental health with a client group? Uh, again, it's uh, the same picture. I think there is a variety of uh, e-cigarettes out there, obviously, and uh, people, they want to have a choice in the matter. The general consensus is that the e-cigarettes are better than actual smoking, of course. We know what happened in America, but the regulations here are different. Uh, and again, I think uh, it's not that uh, there is the argument about uh, replacing uh, one bad habit with another. And uh, we are actually, um, I think as a mental health professionals, we can help uh, people uh, support them in uh, getting rid of uh, bad habits full stop rather than replacing them. But of course, this is a, a move towards the um, you know, a, a good direction. Yeah, and, and certainly we, we, we want to see more evidence, but sure. the evidence at the moment is, is kind of really uh, positive in terms of that shift to e-cigarettes rather than smoking nicotine and the cancerous additives in it. So uh, absolutely, you know, it's an important area. The other area on obesity, I just wanted to give a shout out to Hope Virgo. She is someone that MHNA has done some work with. Uh, we're supporting her Dump the Scales campaign, and if you're out there and haven't signed up to it to support please do uh, she's also been in the journal uh, talking about her own experiences yes. uh, and I'd remind people to go back and read that because it was really good uh, also hoping to get her involved in an event early next year to kind of link in with a shortly re-released book that's been hugely popular so again you know hopefully more coming from yes that would be very exciting the other thing that obviously we cannot not mention is the mental health nursing journal yes. so the last edition we've actually put the newest one out now so it's the one before the, the current one uh, was based on equally well uk yes. so do go back and look at that we've done it slightly differently for that edition that we've actually made that freely available for everyone yeah uh, we've done that as our pledge to equally well uk and we talked about that in the interview so do go and have a look at the show notes and that'll give you details about how you can download a free copy of it so uh, please do do that right every thanks for your time today it's been great speaking to you sorry that we had to do it twice no, but hopefully the fine. second was just as enjoyable as the first and obviously we look forward to hearing your voice again on a future podcast Thank you for having me here today.